1: plushcare.com slash weight loss
2: tea with hb is for everyone who dreams of a better world together let's brew a new reality (sighs) invisibility noun the state of being ignored or not taken into consideration my guest today is journalist and chronic illness activist Jamisha Prescott. Jamisha has lupus, which is a chronic condition that can cause inflammation. So I'm suggesting ginger and turmeric tea for this episode, as it has inflammatory properties that can help with chronic pain flare ups, but is also delicious. Something else that helps with chronic pain is taking deep breaths. So I'd like to invite you to take one with me now. One of the hardest parts of having an invisible disability is holding myself to the unrealistic standards of able-bodied people. Because I look like I should be able-bodied, and I try to live up to that expectation. Actually, 80% of disabled people have invisible disabilities, and goodness knows mental health issues can be debilitating, so really looks mean nothing when it comes to health. Yet still, people are discriminated against for being invisibly ill. The complexity there is that the illness is invisible, so it is often impossible to prove the discrimination. In today's episode, Jamisha and I discuss different forms of discrimination and how they intersect with one another in the workplace, school and even hospitals. Hi Jamisha, welcome to Tea with HB. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. (laughs) I love your Instagram account and something I think you capture particularly well is that sort of universal experience that I think we all have when being chronically ill, which is sort of being in a doctor's office and having to advocate for yourself and almost being on the defence or always being on the defence because you're so used to your pain not being believed or losing friends because they just don't get it every time I read one of your posts I think oh somebody else is experiencing this too and is supporting me but I just wondered do you give yourself that same empathy because I know I don't
3: (laughs) I try to I don't think I always succeed though I I just think it is easier to give other people empathy than yourself. You're so much harder on yourself. Um, Yeah, I mean... Like particularly when I was first ill, I was very horrible to myself. I was very, very mean, very, very unforgiving. And then the platform sort of helped me regroup my thought process and, you know, speaking to other people as well. After after starting, you look okay to me. Just as I say, if I've if I've helped people, that's excellent. But the help always comes back. Always having these conversations with people made me kind of change my perspective about how I was talking to myself. Um, so I will definitely say that, I guess, before starting the platform... I didn't actually think I needed to be kind to myself. After meeting people online and talking to other people with chronic illnesses, I realized, no, I should be nice to myself. And I guess you're in that third stage where you're like, the implementation is what counts. So there are some days where I am nice and I have done things that have shown myself empathy. Like, for example, if I, I actually take sick days now, like I actually take them. And sometimes, yeah. I, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I never used to take them before. I used to force myself. And I will sometimes add... And now I add another sick day so what I used to do was rush back like you know oh I'm gonna go back to work I feel better now even if I feel better I take one more day it's my, it's my rule now because you you know sometimes your body tricks you and you're like oh I'm better and then you start working yeah. again and you're like oh well, no I'm not yes yeah. oh my god yes <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> so often happens yeah, all the time I, that's
2: something I've I've definitely learned as well especially being on my own schedule learning to say no like this this interview has been
0: (laughs) rearranged three times I think yeah
2: and I think that's that's one of the perks of working with other people who are chronically ill as well because they get it when you say oh my goodness just had a massive flare-up three minutes before you're meant to record (laughs) exactly you understand
3: exactly and it's fine (laughs) yeah it is
2: that's that's the thing that's the weird thing is I'm realizing nobody minds if you say no they care they care that you're okay exactly and it that's bizarre to me but also I'm really happy I'm learning that (laughs) do you think that kind of negative self-talk stemmed from the way other people treated you
3: or was it your own standards um you know I would say it's a mixture of things I think you know that negative self-talk came from multiple different um aspects of my life um I think some of it comes from myself. I am quite hard on myself, um, exceptionally so. My parents have said this from before, like I got diagnosed as well. Like as a kid, I just was very, very hard on myself, hardworking and didn't really allow for much room, any perfectionist. And it's not a good thing to be a perfectionist, which I used to think it was fine. And I'm like, no, because it often means that you're never satisfied and that's not like nice. But I think it also comes from just other aspects like, um... You know, I think my ethnicity is part of it as well. I always had this concept in my mind, like, okay, I'm a black woman and I'm going to have to just like, you know, life is unfair. The society is unfair. I'm going to have to work twice as hard and I can't take breaks because, you know the society's not kind of built for me to succeed and so that is part of it too and then when you finally have a chronic illness and now you're a black disabled woman you're like oh no i really need to like get on it now it's like triple the stigma right, exactly and 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 it made me that it comes from there too yeah. yeah it almost
2: means you have triple the pressure on yourself which is bizarre because you would think if you're more vulnerable you'd get more help but often i found it's actually the opposite you're more vulnerable and therefore you have to work yeah. even harder you have to have even more energy to support yourself
3: yeah it's kind of you know especially and I know a lot of disabled people have this these thought these thoughts as well in the sense of you kind of feel like you have to go above and beyond to prove your value in a sense you know I know your productivity is not like your value is not measured by your productivity but you want to prove your value so that they see that you're worth staying because
2: society treats it like it is exactly that's, that's the problem exactly
3: and and a society has a negative view of disabled people in the workplace and it's not fair um and so, therefore, a lot of us do feel like we have to go above and beyond to say, "Hey, I, I, I actually am excellent. Can I stay?" Even though actually, a lot of people yeah. on your team on are, are, might actually just be coasting. But you've got to like go above and beyond because they've already got this thought process of, mm, "This person's a liability." And so it comes from there too. It's yeah. a, it's a complex, but the complex isn't unfounded. It does come from real life situations that have happened.
2: It affects your self talk in the sense that. If you get a job or if you don't, you'll think, is it because I'm disabled? Oh, is it because I'm black? Is it because I'm a woman? And there's that extra level of thinking that comes with every decision yeah. that's made. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. within the medical sphere, do you notice when you're treated differently because of things like that?
3: You know, this question like comes up a lot these days, especially when we talk about like ethnicity and disability when it comes to healthcare. And it's such a tricky question to answer because it's often unfounded. Of There's no proof, well, this is the but thing. you know, you have your yeah. feeling. You have the feeling. I'm
2: trying to figure out, you know, do we have a healthcare system that just isn't caring for people? Or is it because I'm female? Is it because I'm young? Is it because I'm disabled? Yeah, exactly. You know, because we need to know, you know, is it racism? Is it sexism? Because then we can fix it. Yeah. Whereas there's no proof, there's no evidence to say, okay, this is why, so then we can fix it. So then is the whole system just wrong? And it's really hard to tell.
3: It is hard to tell. I do find it's uh, quite a profoundly British thing as well, because British people are not as... um... You know, I'm myself included in this, can be quite passive with with the discrimination. Um, so it's hard to tell. It's very insidious and it's really hard to call out and it's easy to deny. And I think that does stem itself into healthcare as well. There's been instances where I'm like, why do I just feel like a blonde white girl wouldn't get treated like this? I have no proof. I have no proof of that. And maybe a blonde white girl would get treated like that. But there's sometimes I do have moments where I'm like, why do I feel like you're looking at me in a way where it, I'm not being valued for my vulnerability um in a sense it, is it and, and or or why do I feel like you're dismissing me why do I feel like maybe a blonde white man would not be treated like this because he's a man or and it's hard to tell there was one instance where I did have proof and it was as I said like this is always it always crops up in gynecology like it does crop up there where as I said like there was a there's a doctor who f- to my face said well you know just black women have it worse and black women bleed more And that's the first time it actually was said out loud in a sense where he said it, like, that's the only time where I have proof of Mm. discrimination and also just um, incorrect information in regards to gynecology and ethnicity.
2: Misinformation, absolutely. Yeah,
3: and it does happen. I mean, I was listening to a podcast literally yesterday and it was a a black queer woman who um, had a baby and... um, has a family history of preeclampsia, had a bad headache, went to the hospital, she was crying because of the headache. They were like, why are you crying? There was no sort of sympathy for her. And then it turned out that she was having a stroke, like, she was actually, like, in that process. And it was only for the fact that she pushed to get her blood pressure checked. And that's, that's the type of stuff that scares me, because I'm just like... Mm, I don't know how to describe it. Just as you were saying, it's just because you you don't know. We don't have it like on the table like that. So it's just hard to call out and hard to change it. The
2: thing is though, in an ideal world, I think we would all agree in a perfect society, in a perfect healthcare system, not even perfect, let's scrap that. In a bare (laughs) minimum standard of caring, you know, we should want the first reaction to be sympathy. Like their first duty of care is to cause no harm. And I personally feel, and I hope that people agree with me, is that that making you doubt yourself? That lack of sympathy is causing harm because it affects your self-talk. And I started getting ill when I was ten, and I thought, oh, it's because I'm a child; I'm not being believed. When I'm older, <laughs> you know, and then you think, oh, it's because I'm a yeah, woman. Yeah, yeah. And and, yeah. and slowly, you just have nowhere else to go. It, you just get to the point where this system does
3: not yeah. work. No, 100%. And I I mean, on the age thing, I was like, yeah, children are often dismissed. Teens and young adults are often dismissed for the age they look. Um, I sometimes present, depending on what my hair looks like, I sometimes present younger than my actual age. And so sometimes they won't they won't treat me like an adult. They'll think I'm like 17 or 18 and I'm like, no, I'm 25. Um, but then also, my grandparents get treated like rubbish as well. Older people do. So I'm like, well, so what age is it that you're supposed to get treated well? Because if it's older people, kids, younger people, be- <laughs> is there is, is it just 30? Is it 30? And then that's it. Like, and then once you hit 30, then you get... And
2: do you have to be a man? Yeah. And do you have to be yeah. blonde? Do you have to look pretty? Is it? Is it a pretty exactly. thing? Is it because I'm ugly? You know-
3: is that why? <laughs> it be- and this is the problem. You don't know the answer. So it's hard. It's really hard.
2: Yeah. And then when you're in a doctor's office... You're on the defence because you've had these experiences, but you don't know which bit to be defending. You don't know whether you should be justifying the fact that you're a woman or the fact that you're a child or the fact
3: that you're a young adult or the fact that you're black. It's really hard. It is. It is. And I don't know how to change it. Do you know what I mean? I'm thinking, how do you change something like that? And I think... It has to come from, I think, medical education. I think it's got to go from earlier. Like, I don't know how their education is, you know. And as I said, I know many wonderful, um, I've had many wonderful consultants and doctors who are amazing. And I have friends that are literally just qualified now and they're starting. And, you know, us having these conversations does help them, like, realise that there's a whole kind of community of people that they need to kind of have that in the back of their mind so that when they are doing their job, they're not being mean. Yeah. <laughs> um so I w- I would hope that like maybe some of the stuff you do, some of the stuff I do and other people online maybe could be a nice resource for them to kind of humanize their education a little bit.
2: That's that's why I started T with HB because my first and foremost passion is education. And I think
3: mm-hmm. every
2: change that needs to happen will start in the education system. Because the children go home and talk to their parents And then hopefully, you know, dual generational change is happening there. And the education system doesn't teach about nutrition, doesn't teach about chronic illness, doesn't teach about disability. So we look around at society and then we look at an education system that is competitive, non-empathetic, non-compassionate. And you think, well, is it any surprise that we then have a healthcare system with people who have been educated to be competitive,
3: Mm. to lack empathy and lack sympathy? Exactly. I think it's got to be better for them. It's got to start with them you know, and hopefully you can like fan out. But we'll try. We'll do our best.
2: <laughs> in the workplace, do you find the same thing? Because for me, I left school last year. So my sort of experiences in the outside world are limited to school and hospitals, because obviously the coronavirus has happened. So I've been locked in so i'm aware Mm -hmm. i'm kind of in this echo chamber of my good friends who are nice to me and my family who is nice to me and i'm thinking was it just
3: school was it just hospitals sad to say to you it's not just it's not i'm really sorry to tell you this but it's not just school and i only hope that you when you do enter the workplace find you know, whether it's for you're working for yourself or working for someone else, I just hope that you find um, a nice company because not everyone's the same. You have places that are more than understanding and then you have places that are horrible and it really just does depend. But as a systemic issue, there is a problem when it comes to having a chronic illness, having a disability um, in the workplace. I mean, my first... My first job was okay. I worked at IKEA. They were fine. You know, I did they they it's a retail, so it wasn't made for me, but they actually were quite nice. It's a Swedish company, they're actually quite caring. Got a Christmas gift from them, so it's all fine. But like <laughs> that after makes up that, for anything bad. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I got Kindle, so Whoa. I can't complain. But like <laughs> yeah, I know. But when it came to like Other places I've worked, I worked for a a small production company and I was like, great, seated, I'm sitting down. And same with them. They just didn't really understand or get my health condition. Um, Same with when I worked in a salad bar. I got fired from that salad bar and I just sometimes find in some workplaces that they are really caring about your chronic illness until it becomes an inconvenience for them and then it's like and then it's a problem then it's well why can't you do this why can't you do that well, then you get fired and stuff yeah.
2: and then it mm. also becomes a loophole because it's oh we're not firing you because you're disabled we're firing you because you're not fit for the job yeah. and it's like well if you just change this one thing and they can easily lie
3: <laughs> They can easily lie. I mean, my salabar when they they fired me, they 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 didn't give a reason. So it's really hard to like to actually even prove that you've been through disability discrimination in the workplace under the Equalities Act. As you have to go through so many yeah. hoops to even prove it in the first place. They told me that I had to you have to prove I got a disability first. There's only like I think there's three main like illnesses that are registered as dis- disabilities upon diagnosis, which is um M- MS HIV, AIDS. I believe, and I can't remember the other one, but like those ones, if you get diagnosed with that as an illness, it's it's a disability. Mm. Like you don't have to go through that process. Everything else, they're not saying it isn't, you just have to prove it. And then after you've proved it, then you have to prove that the reason why they fired you was because of that. And you have a three month waiting period for that.
2: Yeah. And again, it's that lack of empathy, that mistreatment, that having to prove you're ill, assuming that you're lying. That lack of trust is so sad to me. Because if I was, like, at the top of society... I would want it to be more familial I would want there to be more compassion and that doesn't start with assuming that people are lying when they say they're in pain like how have we got to that point that shocks me I don't
3: have an answer for that really it, it's just it's it's, ter- it's honestly terrible and it's it's very disheartening um you know so we put some especially in the UK we put so much uh emphasis on career and job and you know if someone says oh hey like who like you introduce yourself usually you introduce your career as well and so when you get fired for that and you feel like you don't have value because if you disability in the workplace it really does have a an effect on your mental health and your self image it really does and it's not nice and it's not your fault and you've and and, and oftentimes like this is the thing as well like I'm quite transparent with my chronic condition when I when I work but a lot of people can't afford to be even because they know that they weren't getting those jobs you can't prove it but they know they weren't getting those jobs because they put their disability down and it's like uh, yeah
2: and there's no education when you are diagnosed, yeah. or even if you, like, for the people who are still undiagnosed, my heart goes out to them, because mm-hmm. that's just so isolating. Mm-hmm. And you're isolated then even from the disabled and chronic illness community, yep. because some of the people within that won't treat you nicely because you don't have a diagnosis. Exactly, and it's all just,
3: yeah.
2: <laughs> um, but you're not, you're not taught okay, this is how you tell someone you're ill and this is how Mm -hmm. to make them believe you. And so until two years ago, I just burst into tears every time I tried to talk about my illness because unfortunately and fortunately, it's a blessing and a curse, it's not very visible. I look, in fact, supremely healthy i have rosy cheeks and bright <laughs> eyes you know um from the pain but i look healthy
3: yeah yeah exactly and it's, and it's, it's so frustrating especially
2: when you're a child especially when you're a child trying to tell a kid i'm in pain i know you can't see it but
3: i'm in pain they just won't believe you no they will not <laughs> they will not They're like, what's wrong with her she's such a liar blah blah blah. kids are mean yeah. kids are very very mean as well and they don't understand i used to
2: specifically limp um Even though it would hurt me to limp. Really? I used to limp at school because otherwise I would get barged into all the time. I would wear a sling even though my, you know, it wasn't, I didn't have a broken arm. My shoulder was hurting, but I would wear a sling just so people would stay away from me.
3: Yeah. So you needed that visual marker for people to identify with. Right?
2: And it it used to be crutches, but then I couldn't use crutches because they hurt too Mm, much. mm -hmm. And the sling would hurt my neck. Yeah. But I had to do it because otherwise there was no level of... Awareness. Yeah. There was no level of kindness. And even when I was on crutches, people would still, like, trip me up and Seriously? stuff. Seriously. And there's just... We need Damn. education. We need education for how to treat each other nicely. 100%.
3: It's
2: not even nicely, actually. I keep saying, like, perfect, nice. Actually, it's the bare minimum.
3: With respect. The respect. Like... I mean, that should, that this is the stuff, I mean, I don't know if what they call it now, but in primary school and maybe in high school, they called it PSHE, right? Yeah. I think what was it was, yeah. I can't remember what that stands for anymore. It's been that long, but.
2: Yeah, <laughs> uh, psychology, social health education or something? Is it
3: psychology? I think it's something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, something like that. But that should be in there. I should have been learning mm. about that when I was in primary school. That some people feel like this, and some people have this, and didn't learn about that. So that should be there from early, so that you know people can have that understanding. I found that, for example, with I had um, he's 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 uh, passed away now, but I had a cousin who was on the spectrum, and one of the frustrating parts about going through school with him, he ended up having to be removed from my high school, and he had to go to a a one for neurodiverse uh, yeah. children, but. It's complete lack of understanding they just don't get it so when he has a meltdown when he is has sensory overload or whatever they're just laughing or they're getting frustrated with him because they don't understand they don't get it they don't have anybody around them that's like that and the same thing I think mm-hmm. is for chronic chronic illness and it needs to start early
2: yeah I think that's that's the other issue especially with these kind of problems yes we need to educate about them and the medical profession needs to be educated mm-hmm. On invisible disabilities as well as like racial awareness. Even Google, you know, when you Google a skin condition, and like that's (laughs) just it only comes up on white skin, which is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And all these things are in society already, and. Changing the education system is going to take time. And I do believe that is the overall solution. But this kind of education needs to start at home. It needs to start with the children's books that we're reading. It needs to start with the parents engaging in discussions about what disability looks like. That
3: needs to happen young. Yeah, it does. Children are very receptive to learning new information as well. If you put that in early enough and then consistently as well, I think Mm -hmm. it can do a lot of change. But you know it's it's a it's, it's 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 for the children yeah but it is also partly like the systemic barriers as well because i think children it's for like the next generation coming through but we also want to break down those barriers now and those are those adults that just don't see the value in in no. in, in changing anything for disabled yeah. people and that that definitely has to change
2: children aren't born judgmental so it, whether you have no. good parents who will talk to you about it or parents who don't think it's worth discussing that can be eroded by the wrong education system, the wrong school mm-hmm. where you're surrounded by yeah. other children who don't know about it. That's why it's so hard for child carers or people, you know, children who have siblings with disabilities who are have that level of empathy, have that level of understanding. And then it's not reflected within their s- society, but it is reflected within their home. And that can be a whole yeah. other difficulty. Yeah, But these systemic barriers that we have in place, yep. it's about attitudes, I would say. It's not about the disabilities themselves. It's about the attitudes towards them. No, And if we thought of people who wear glasses as people with disabilities and their glasses were like a mobility aid, because let's be real, could you walk around if you couldn't see? Like, That's why we have guide dogs. That's why we have sticks. And that is seen as a pitiful disability. Like, oh, poor them, they have a guide dog. Or, you know, or if you're in a wheelchair, oh, poor them, they can't walk. But we don't go, oh, no, oh, poor them, they have to wear contact lenses. There's a completely different attitude around it. So we know that there are visual impairments, disabilities that exist, that don't have this same attitude. Yeah. So it's surely not that much of a leap, especially when you consider that, yeah everyone's going to be disabled at some point in their life and uh, like everyone 100% of people and if there's a very small percentage who aren't disabled they will know someone who is and it will be their partner or their child so why don't we care more
3: <laughs> that was a that was a read I want to like click for that like <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh I mean my but
2: that's so sad to say isn't it god what am I saying like we shouldn't just care because it's going to happen to us or a loved one we should care because it's happening already should care
3: period yeah period and the thing is it's like I I, I went to a talk a few years ago about disability it was like um was that LSE and she like first of all like the concept of disability you know we I the social model was such an interesting thing to kind of like look at and it changed my whole perspective of, you know, disability is not the, it's not the quote unquote impairment, it's the societal barriers that uh, disable someone from doing something. Yeah, right. You know, lifts and uh, subtitles and blah, 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 blah. Exactly. But like, she's it's so funny because she was like you know the concept of disability has changed over throughout the years she said that you know in um now I don't know exactly what society this was but it might be in ancient Greece they had considered a woman to be a disabled man oh
0: wow. because it's
3: like she's not a she's not she's like a not as good version as a man so therefore she had a disability it was that that was a disability to be a woman in a sense
2: and and That's so interesting because in, because in modern society, it can be disabling to be a woman in certain countries, especially.
3: Barriers. Yeah. Yeah. If you
2: can't own land or if you can't, you know, you can't inherit. So your son will inherit if your husband dies. That kind of thing is still (laughs) going on. Yeah. You could say that's disabling.
3: Yeah. And, you know, the woman also kind of just mentioned, she's just like, look, like you should want access for everyone just because like that should be just how what you want anyway but also access for disabled people accessibility it actually often helps everybody so she's like if you look about like audiobooks, for example that helped people who weren't able to see be able to read books but also everybody listens to audiobooks yeah. now everybody listens to podcasts now if you look at subtitles you know now it's not as widespread as it should be people but wear
2: glasses for a fashion trend
3: people <laughs> wear precisely and like if you look at like subtitles for example yes um, it's not as widespread on social media as it should be but it doesn't just help people who um, mm. are deaf or are part of the deaf community or hard of hearing it also can help people who are learning a language it can also help you just because you know you're tired that day um so it it helps more than like what we think it's not just for disabled people even though it primarily is supposed to be it actually makes everything accessible for all of us so like and why wouldn't you want that yeah why i just why why wouldn't you want that you know so i
2: think i think it's because of the attitudes it's because we imagine disabled people as someone i think at the worst which is just wrong on so many levels because Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean it doesn't even mean you have a lesser quality of life if you are in this situation you can still enjoy life but that's what people don't get is if they if they imagine disability to be somebody in a wheelchair who can't talk who can't walk um who can't date like the undateables that whole series just oh, oh my gosh
3: Oh my I was really shocked that the show was even called that Oh my
2: god I know the idea that a disabled person sh- can't or shouldn't or an able-bodied person wouldn't want to date them I mean the the domino effect that has so if if society isn't even aware you know and I say I say society generally because I do honestly think this is the case if society isn't even aware that invisible disabilities exist and their version of disability is someone in a wheelchair who can't speak, who can't advocate for themselves, they don't think it matters because they don't have a voice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then suddenly, if someone with a disability is speaking out, it seems to be that the immediate reaction is, oh, well, you're not really disabled because you're talking about it.
3: Yep. Yep. You can't win. You actually just can't win. Like, that's the way it's kind of set up.
2: Yeah. But I hope we're (laughs) changing it. And, like, the the tagline of my podcast is brew a new reality... Because this one ain't good enough. Mm-mm.
3: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not. It's not.
2: <laughs> yeah. If you could put one thing in place, whether it be in schools, whether it be a kind of a workshop that's run within the National Healthcare Service, what it, it is it one thing like you it... just wish people knew? Yeah, because
3: there's so many, but I'll just go... I guess I'll just go broader. It's just like everyone's going to have different needs. Like, it's just about everyone's needs are individual and we should start having conversations about that early on, about what our needs are early on. And if we started doing that, we can kind of um, work, you know, with each other. I mean, you know, my my coworker who is amazing, is um, dyslexic and dyspraxic, I believe. I think it's, I believe it's both. She's neurodiverse. Yeah. And she just mentioned like, oh, sometimes um, I can't read the t- text very well if it's in a massive block. She told me that from early on, or or sometimes um, I might be a little little bit forgetful. Can you just remind me? That was just mentioned from early on. That was just one of her needs that she mentioned to me. And I told her sometimes Mm. I don't reply because I'm tired or whatever. We said that from early and we're able to work around, not even work around, work together with each other's um, sort of um, uh, different situations. So I just think uh, I would just basically try to implement and say, let's have these conversations about our needs and learn about what different people's needs could be early on. And then I think that could help a lot of things.
2: That's so true because actually it's not just a disability relevant thing. That's yeah, one of the reasons exactly. that the term differently abled really bothers me because we're all <laughs> differently abled. Exactly. You know? Disability exactly. is a neutral term to make it easier to discuss access needs, I feel, and to quickly communicate this is something I can't do. You know? Yeah. But yeah. actually it's it's not that disabled people have more needs or have have more needs in in access or physical or neuro whatever. It's that able-bodied people's needs are already provided. So there are stairs in every building. There aren't lifts in every building. Yes, and it's yeah, it's, that's go. what needs that's to change. It's it's the communication yeah. around things. You're yeah, absolutely, absolutely right. We just all. Need to kind of let go of being British and talk yeah. about what
3: we need. Basically, yeah. I mean, i of gone, no, it's all right, it's all right. Don't no, worry Yeah, it? yeah
2: stiff cool. up a lip. No, mm.
3: none of that. No, babe. no more. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Jam, for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me. It was so nice to talk to you. If you want to hear more of Jamisha's voice, I have a podcast called uh, "I'm Okay and Other Lies," and it's just a podcast where people speak about like moments in their lives that makes some- them feel vulnerable. So it's not just a chronic illness podcast. Um two of the people I have on there don't have chronic illnesses at the moment. Um but it's more so just like someone's story that does relate to other people's, but maybe the experience they had is like quite extraordinary. So the first episode was like a doctor with imposter syndrome who just doesn't believe she's a doctor yet and she's just qualified in the pandemic. And then a friend of mine who was in a car accident because he just burnt out. We can all like relate but those stories are like whoa okay cool like that's the story but also yeah i can relate to that like i've been burnt out blah 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 so it's called i'm okay and other lies and it's great <laughs> oh thank you
2: thank you so much for listening if you're enjoying the podcast you can leave me a review on itunes or share it with a friend you can also find me on patreon instagram and youtube and for more check out my newsletter and website www.twithhb.com Thank you for staying with me until the end of the episode. To show my appreciation, here's a preview of next week's episode. Inclusivity with actor and disability rights ambassador, Melissa Johns. There really is. I see
0: sometimes, you know, a a big show might go on TV and someone will say, God, there wasn't any any disability in that. Okay, it's it's small steps. Um, Let's talk about, so for every show that didn't do it, let's talk about the show that did do it. So the show that didn't do it can follow.
2: (laughs) That's much more... Helpful in solving the problem, it really is.
0: Hold up.